love never fails. But you know what? We are the agents of God's love, aren't we? We're the agents of God's love. So a lot of times, the love that God wants to express to people goes through us to reach the world. And so that song really challenges me to think that, wow, I'm an agent of God's love. I better be operating, functioning properly, or people are going to miss out. And so let's pray and just ask God to bless this time as we talk about this very subject this morning. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for your word and its power to impact us. But Lord, you've given us other things that impact us. Your voice that speaks to our heart. uh, Words and actions and situations that speak to us. Lord, all of creation shouts your glory. And all of creation speaks to us. And your voice is heard everywhere. And so today, as we focus on your word and focus on some of the things that you've been teaching me, Lord, I pray that your voice would be heard in this place, that you would speak to our hearts, change our hearts, renew us, make us different than we were yesterday. Uh, Lord, that we might be your hands and feet, that we might be those who who give the love of Christ to others. Um, So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to be back in Canada, but you know what? I really miss Africa. (laughs) I really do. Uh, Just had a fantastic trip, had a wonderful time there, and I love to tell you all about it, but it's going to take more than an hour, and it's really not, you know, what I preach on on Sunday morning, so it's going to have to wait. Um, I think we've we've chosen a week from Friday. Uh, I'm going to be sharing all about the trip and answering questions and telling you how you can get involved uh, in future trips and stuff like that. So if you want to learn more about it and want to hear about the trip a week from Friday, I'm uh, not sure exactly where we'll meet yet. And we might make it a uh, fundraiser dinner. So uh, think about that. Um, but just because I don't have time to tell you all about it, uh, I am going to talk about it this morning. <laughs> uh, uh, I'd like to share basically how God impacted my life while I was in Africa. Because when I was in Africa, I met Jesus. I did. I met Jesus, because he's all over the place. (laughs) And the way I met him basically centers around something that happens every time when we would drive up to go to see a well that had been drilled. Uh, That's what I went to do. I went there to drill wells, but actually just to sort of commemorate the wells. They were mostly already all done by the time we got there. Um, But every time we would go to one of these villages... Uh, we'd arrive in our in our uh, Toyota Land Cruiser because we really needed a Toyota Land Cruiser <laughs> to get around the country. Uh, anyways, we'd drive up, and every time the same thing happened. And basically, there would there would be this group of ki- children mulling around out there. There's children everywhere. And then all of a sudden, as we pulled up, this is what would happen. <clears throat> It was exciting, uh, as you can see. Yeah, it's the same video. It's going to keep going. <laughs> All right. 
And then, then we, we would pile out of the Land Cruiser and all these children would just swarm us like, like a mass of bees on, on flowers or honey or something. And, and then they would, they would sing. And check out the joy on these faces as they sing. Don't turn it off. Just turn down the volume. <laughs> now, you might think that, that, that we had the volume turned up loud. I'm telling you, it was louder than that on the spot. It was so loud that uh, Chris was 25 feet away from me. I was taking the video, and the kids were right there in front of me. Chris was, Chris was about 25 feet away, and his Apple uh, watch started beeping, and he looked at it, and it, it went, hearing loss warning too loud it was registering a hundred decibels over there I, my ears were hurting because they were singing so loud so enthusiastically it just blew my my mind um and so they i don't know if you noticed the way they were singing there would, there would be one or two people that would shout out a couple of lines, and then the rest of the group would, would call and follow in with a chorus. And this was all like off the cuff. And I found out that they were singing lines that they were making up on the spot. They were singing, singing things like, Welcome to our village! And then the big chorus would gather in. We're so happy for the borehole! And the big chorus would draw And they would just go like that. And, it was just, and if they agreed with what was being said by sort of the, the leader, then they would just shout it out. And I don't know if you noticed this little girl right in the middle wearing a black dress. If you saw it, I have a picture. This is her when we first arrived. She's, what would you say? I'd say about 12 years old. And she was one of the ladies who was leading the singing by shouting out the lines. And so you see her here. Uh, next slide, please. Right there in, in the middle. Just look at the joy on her face. She is so excited, so pumped about this event, so happy that somebody came to her village. And, you know, this is what spoke to me. Not this little girl in particular, but kind of. Because I was just drawn to her because she was so full of energy and life. Um, and her smile was just so amazing. She was so happy. Now, I, I've seen children happy before. Have you seen happy kids? What, what are they usually happy about? Like getting a new iPhone, right? Woohoo! Any 12-year-old with a brand new iPhone, woo! they're ecstatic right or maybe you know heading off to disneyland with their family Woohoo! that's exciting uh maybe uh 
winning a million bucks. I don't know, getting a date from the hottest guy on the football team. This is what teens get excited about. They get pumped about winning a, a, a virtual reality system or something like that. I don't know. This is what teenagers, young teens, tweens get excited about. This group of kids, this girl, she's excited. She's over the moon excited because she gets to pump water less than 100 meters from her home with a hand pump. Think about that for a minute. She is so excited because she can pump water. I mean, any teenager in here, you tell them, hey, you're going to be able to pump water. They'll go like, why would I do that? I got a tap I can turn. You know, like, what? that sounds like not a good thing. That sounds like a terrible thing. But to these kids, and I've, I've like, 10 hours of video of them singing. To these kids, this is the greatest thing ever. Because now their friends won't die of cholera. Now they don't feel, have to feel bad bringing water for the, her baby brother. She knows he won't get sick. Now she doesn't have to walk down to the local, uh, this girl for, for the rest of her life. She's going to be drawing water, but from a well instead of next slide or next video. No, sorry, next video. So Uh, this is the first operation of the pump, and this young lady's been chosen. (laughs) Anyways, this this is what she's excited about. She's excited to be able to do this. And of course they're singing. <laughs> they're excited. Okay, is there another video that we have? Yeah. So that girl has always been drawing water from this spot. Now, it's not super far away from her village. But this is where they get their water. And I've taken a picture of this. Let's go to the next slide. That's where she's drawing the water from. Okay? And you might say, well, they boil the water, right? No, they don't. And I'll tell you why. They don't boil the water because it's too difficult. These, I, I saw dozens and dozens of women who have on their heads a bundle of sticks that's about eight feet long and about this big around. It probably weighs 100 pounds. And they walk for days with that bundle of wood on their heads so they can cook for their family. They're not going to use that wood to boil water. Unless maybe possibly they have some leftover after they've cooked their dinner. They're going to use that wood to cook their dinner. And they're going to just drink the water as it is from this spot. It breaks my heart. It really does. The joy that these children have over receiving a hand pump, the clean water, it just completely overwhelmed me. They have nothing. They can never afford to pay $5,000 American for a borehole with their er meager earnings that they get from taking their vegetables and fruits to the market. That's already flooded with vegetables and fruit that are in season. 
how are they supposed to sell anything? I mean, unless they cut right from each other, there's no money to be made. And so they have nothing. And, um, And they're so grateful for this gift that you gave them. This is what you guys did for them. Um, one, of the, one of the villages where we went, they were just overwhelmed. And they kept saying to Chris, you are the first person that has ever cared about us. We're, you, you are the founder of our community, <laughs> they were saying to him. And he's like, no, no. <laughs> he's like, no, you're going to forget about me as soon as I drive away. But that's what they were saying. They were just so overwhelmed. Uh, and I, I have... Um, and so I have more video uh, of where they get, used to get their water and how hard it is to get it up to where they live. Uh, but you'll have to come back on next Friday to see all that. It's really incredible. I was blown away, and you'll see that on the video. Um, and so I was contemplating this, the joy of this little 12-year-old girl and all the rest of the kids with, with her. And I woke up one morning, and I was overwhelmed overwhelmed. I was just like, I was just in shock, thinking, they have so little with so much joy. I have so much. And I complain sometimes? I just can't believe that I complain about anything. I mean, it's just like, the comparison just, it shamed me. And I, and I cried out to the Lord, and I just said, Lord, I'm so sorry for the complaining I've done in my life. For the, for for not being more generous. For, for, for I'm a spoiled brat. It just really struck me. And so I told the Lord, I'm never going to complain again about anything. Fortunately, I've already broken that commitment. But I'm working on it. <laughs> this morning. This morning, I was so frustrated with my computer. And then the thought, and I said to Jennifer, you know, like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to not complain. It's really hard. But I have a computer, right? Just because it isn't working right, I still have a computer. And seriously, once you've seen that joy over a hand pump, it's hard to complain about a crappy computer, a flat tire, a late bus, a rainy day, or any of our first world problems. They're just like so ridiculously trivial compared to not being able to provide water for your family at all. And so it basically totally drove home the point of these few scripture verses I'd like to share with you. Uh, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Contentment, my friends. Uh, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. I'm telling you, friends, I left a piece of my heart in Africa beside those wells. 
Uh, you know, and any of you who participated in giving towards as well, I hope that your heart is somewhere in Africa as well. Uh, and with these kids that I've been showing, uh, you cannot serve both God and money. The Bible is very clear about this. Jesus goes on. You have little faith. Do not worry, saying, well, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things. In other words, what do Christians do? They don't run after those things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Your Father knows what you need. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, Paul took these teachings of Jesus to heart. And Paul would say things like this. He said, "Um, That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in other words, Paul learned how to reframe his, his situation. You know, when he was prison, in prison, he, he reframed that. And, and he said, well, God is going to work while I'm in prison. And, and God did. Because Paul wrote half of the New Testament while he was in prison. And I'm pretty sure that if he wasn't in prison, he wouldn't have written all those letters. And now we have them. So, so you know, God gives us situations. And when we learn to be content in those situations... God uses us. Again, in Philippians, he says, I've learned to be content whatever my circumstances. Whatever. Contentment. In Proverbs says, Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. I love that one. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. And then one final verse. And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. Great verse. God, God will meet all your needs. You don't have to worry. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. All these things that we often worry about, don't worry about it. God will provide it. It's very, very clear. Now, but about this verse? Is this verse only for North American and European Christians? Or is this verse for Malawian children? Pretty obvious what the answer is to that question. (laughs) Am I content? I have to ask myself before preaching this sermon. I mean, I'd like a working speedboat. Mine mine quit. I'd like a working one. I'd like a new car. Mine's 15 years old. My wife's 20 years old. I'd like a motorcycle. (laughs) Oh, and a jet ski. And while we're at it, a snowmobile. I really would like some of those. But how can I want those things when I already have two houses, two cars, and as many hand tools as a man could possibly want? <laughs> I mean, really? Am I really going to desire those things when I look into the eyes of that 12-year-old girl? Overjoyed. Because she gets to pump water 50 meters from her house. Oh, I I can get a $10,000 jet ski. Can we afford that? (laughs) No. (laughs) But I could also get two wells in Africa. Where's your heart, right? Where's your heart? 
And so when I look at this verse on the screen, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, I realize that I am part of God's meeting all their needs. You know, he, he, he meets the needs of those children in Africa. And I believe that this prayer was answered for about a thousand Malawians because Chris and I went to Africa and paid a dr- driller to drill wells and a cement worker to put the cement around it and install the pump. I believe that this verse came true for those people. And you might say, well, but we paid for that. We provided out of our riches. Yeah, but I think it's God who still provided through you, through me, right? We're part of this. We're, we're involved. Um, I'm reminded of what the disciples asked Jesus. Jesus went to a remote place. He's trying to get away from the people, I think. And so he goes to this remote place. But this huge crowd follows him over to this remote place. And the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, you know, this is a remote place and, and it's already getting late. So send the people away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some lunch. And, you know, this is our normal response. You know, God, just can you can you just help the people to get water in Malawi? God, can you just just help them to get enough work so they can pay for the parts for the pump when it breaks down? God, can you just provide, provide, please? They're starving people. I mean, I, if we said raise your hand for every time you prayed for the starving people or or, or the the poor people in this world, I'm, I'm sure every hand would be raised. This is what we do. But you know, as the disciples said, send them away. Let someone else deal with the problem. Let them look after themselves, buy their own food. I don't want to get involved. And how does Jesus respond to the disciples saying, send them away and you know, don't want to deal with this? Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Next, next slide. They, Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. <laughs> right? And I believe Jesus is saying that here today. You give them something to drink. This is hard. This is part of being the love of Christ that, that he's promised to everyone. You give them something to drink. And of course the disciples respond, you know, oh, we, we only have five loaves and two fish. And, and in John's gospel, he adds, and what is that amongst so many? I'm telling you, I feel that way sometimes. Like, what is 20 bucks? Throwing 20 bucks at, at a problem like 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 this in Africa. What's a hundred bucks? What's a thousand bucks? What's ten thousand dollars? There's a billion people on the globe who don't have clean water. A billion people. That's just astronomical. My thousand bucks, my ten thousand bucks, my five bucks. It's gonna do nothing. What is that amongst so many? It's it's useless. It's like I feel like I can sell my houses, I can sell my cars, I give away everything, and it'll just be a drop in a bucket and it'll disappear tomorrow. Drill 20 wells, that'll be it. But what does Jesus say about the five loaves and two fish? He says, bring them here. If that's all you got, then bring them here. Bring them to Jesus. Jesus will figure out what to do with it. Jesus will figure out how to, to, to reach people and bring wells and bring food and, and all of that stuff. 
And in the beginning of this passage, I, we, I didn't read it yet, but I want, I want to just jump to the next slide and show you at the beginning of this passage the motivation that Jesus had for doing this. It says, Jesus saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and healed the sick. My friends, we are called to be like Jesus. And Jesus was a man of compassion. In fact, I believe Jesus came to this earth on a mission because he had compassion on us. We were lost in our sins and we were destined for hell and eternal damnation. And Jesus had compassion on us and he decided to sacrifice himself in such a horrible, torturous way as we talked about last Friday or the Friday before. Uh, this is why he came. He led the way. And he said, I'm, I'm not just going to give them my money. I'm going to give them my very life. Why? Because he had compassion. And so that's the second thing I learned. The first thing I learned, or God spoke to me about, was contentment. Stop wanting stuff I don't need, in other words. And the second thing he taught me was, have compassion. I mean, I've been compassionate for a long time. And I, I just, I'm, you, know, you guys know, I've been preaching here 25, 30 years. You know I'm compassionate about the people who are starving and hurt and whatever. Um, but here's the deal. Jesus has an army. There may be a billion people on this earth who don't have clean water. But guess what? Jesus has two billion people on this earth committed to him. Two billion people, my friends. That's a lot of people. And all of those people, all two billion of those people who call themselves Christians, they've all heard this story, this parable that Jesus taught. And I'm going to read it to you right now. They've all heard this story. And this is his army that Jesus has raised up. This is what Jesus says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... And all the angels with him. He will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people as one separates, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and he will put the goats on his left hand. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the beginning of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, uh, Lord, when, when were you hungry, and we fed you? Uh, or thirsty, and we gave you something to drink? When, when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now you know why I entitled this, I Met Jesus in Africa. Right there. And there, and there, and there, and there, and there, and there. Every day I was meeting Jesus all over the place. And I was really grateful that I had a cup of water to give 
to Jesus while I was there. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. And I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. And I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. And I was sick and in prison, and you didn't look after me. And then they will answer, Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry or sick or in prison? When, when did we see you needing clothes or sick and not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whenever you did, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, my brethren, you did not do it for me. You know, you might think, oh, well, these children off in the middle of Africa, they, they're not Christ's brothers or children. Or, you know, they need to be saved. No, they don't. They're all Christians. They, you know, I, I was there on Good Friday. I said, kids, I'm going to tell you the story of Good Friday. You know what they said? We know that story. <laughs> like a whole chorus of them. <laughs> I told it anyway, and they really liked it. <laughs> but, you know, there are a whole lot more Christians in, in Malawi than in Canada. Even though Canada has twice as many people and a hundred times more land, there's way more Christians in Malawi. These children, they're, they're all Christ's brothers and sisters. They're all his. They're, he said, let the little children come unto me. They, they, these are his. <laughs> this is Christ. But here's the kicker. The next verse. Then they, those who didn't give Jesus stuff, they will go away to eternal punishment. But the righteous to eternal life. You know, I don't know about you, but I, I read this parable and I'm like, there's a problem with this. Isn't there a problem with this parable? I mean, it leaves me thinking this big question right here. Maybe. Next slide. There it is. Is Jesus even evangelical? Right? Because when you look at that parable, you kind of go like, well, Jesus, I mean, so the righteous are people who help the poor, and those who are going, are damned eternally are those who are not helping the poor. But we preach an evangelical message, you know, of grace and mercy and faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Christ's death for our sins. But in this parable, Jesus doesn't mention anything about grace or faith or substitutionary death, propitiation, justification, redemption, salvation, the blood of the Lamb. There's no mention of any of that stuff in this parable that separates the sheep from the goats. It's just the sheep helped the poor and the goats didn't. Sheep go to heaven, the goats don't. I'm like, this is... Not very evangelical. Jesus, are you evangelical? Why did you share this? Now, some have suggested that Jesus told this parable um, of the sheep and the goats as part of the Old Testament. You know, this is part of the Old Testament era, and and Jesus was just pointing out that we're all in bad shape and we need salvation. (laughs) That doesn't wash, and I'll tell you why. Have you ever looked at the first verse of this parable? Jesus says, 
when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he's talking about eschatology. He's talking about a future event that will happen at the end of time. So in other words, this, this is the future, so it's not part of the Old Testament teaching. So others... Um, and, and so Jesus... Jesus says some other radical things. If you ever go to the book of Revelation, we just looked at it. He says, I am the one who searches hearts and minds, and I will pay, repay each of you according to your deeds. According to your deeds? That's not very evangelical. He reveals to John, I saw the, the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up his dead that were in death, and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. And at the end, Jesus says, Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. You know, all these according to what they have done in the, old, in the Greek, or I'm sorry, in King James, it always said, according to their works. So how can Paul say, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one could boast. Paul was clearly evangelical. But was Jesus? You're all looking a little worried here. What's the deal? What's going on? Are we saved by grace through faith in Jesus? Or are we judged by what we have done, by our deeds, whether we, whether we help the poor or not? Not surprising, some, not surprisingly, some have tried to drive a wedge between Jesus and Paul and have said, no, these two guys are teaching two different things. Others have said, well, Protestants followed Paul, salvation through faith alone. Catholics, they followed Jesus, faith plus works. Well, got news for you. Jesus isn't Catholic, Protestant, evangelical or anything. <laughs> He's the way, the truth, and the life, (laughs) right? Uh, But what do we do with these two seemingly vastly different ideas of how to get to heaven? Luckily, we don't just have the words of Jesus and the words of Paul. We also have the words of James. And James explains this apparent difficulty. Uh, James uh, says this, What good is it, my brother, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Now, I want to read the rest of this passage, but I want you to answer James's question. What's the answer to that question? I hear a lot of mumbling. What's that? It's not, not, not the right kind of faith. What, but what's the answer to the question, can such faith save them? No. no. The answer is no. That's a little shocking. A faith that doesn't have deeds that go along with it, James says is dead. And, and, and I'm just going to read the whole passage. It just, he repeats it over and over. He says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be, keep warm, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if not accomplished by action, is dead. I love the way he uses that illustration about poor people in his description of what faith really is. It's, it's so obvious. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what, by what I do or by my deeds. You believe there's one God? Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. Next time you're just on your evangelical chant, just remember. You're just telling people, believe, believe, believe. The devil believes that and shudders. There's got to be more than just belief. You foolish person. <laughs> Sorry, it gets kind of personal here, doesn't he? Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offers his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. And I can give you many illustrations of that. He gives the illustration of Rahab, uh, where her faith was considered righteousness because she rescued the the uh, spies. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without words is dead. Okay, so that's how we meld these two ideas: this idea that Jesus is teaching and preaching that you have to act, you have to give water to to the thirsty Jesus, give water to the, the hung, or food to the hungry Jesus, because that's, a, that's what happens when you have faith, that you automatically do that, because why? You become just as compassionate as Jesus was, because you, you get his spirit. Jesus said you need to be born again. Now, you know, I've only given you this one passage about what Jesus says, but Jesus teaches evangelical faith all through the New Testament, okay? Don't get me wrong. Look at what Jesus said. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, take up your mat and walk. Uh, Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Ah, Jesus is evangelical. Thank you. (laughs) So glad to hear that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Jesus is evangelical. Absolutely. Uh, He also said, uh, they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. So this is the first and foremost, the primary work of Christians is to believe in Jesus Christ. And Paul also talks about being judged for our works. First, First Corinthians 5 says, we must all be, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And you know, I think I quoted, no, I didn't. Well, I was going to. Anyways, next slide. Got the whole thing. Uh, Next slide. There we go. So this is the evangelical verse of the decade, right? Or of the century. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And even this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works. That's just sort of a description of evangelicalism. So that no one can boast. 
But so often we forget this next verse that Paul says. For we are, no, sorry, it's up back. Yep, thank you. (laughs) For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. So just because we're not saved by our good works doesn't mean our good works doesn't show that we have faith. Um, And so I, I think it's apropos for us here in this room to follow what this next verse says. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And then in Second Peter, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. So you see how these two things are working together? So I want us to go back to that parable that Jesus taught. And I want you to ask yourself six questions. Six questions. To test your faith. Because Jesus is pretty clear that if you can't answer these six questions in the positive, or at least some of them in the positive, you're not going to heaven. Because faith produces works. So here's the six questions. When's the last time you saw Jesus hungry and you gave him something to eat? Question number two. When's the last time you saw Jesus thirsty and you gave him something to drink? When's the last, question three, when's the last time you met a stranger and you invited Jesus to come stay with you? When's the last time, number four, I saw, you saw Jesus needing some clothes and you gave him some clothes? When's the last time that you noticed that Jesus was sick and you went over there and visited with him and spent some time with him, comforted him? And finally, when's the last time you've been to prison to visit Jesus? She's pretty clear. We're not going to heaven if we haven't done some of those things. She's pretty clear that that his two billion people that are his followers and his servants, these are the things that they do. And that's why he has a plan to get fresh water to every living person on the earth. Because he's got two billion Christians who heard this parable and know that faith without works is dead. doesn't really wash. doesn't really cover it. Honestly, I feel a great disconnect in my life. I'm an evangelical pastor. I focus on getting the gospel out there. I challenge you folks to, to preach to your neighbor, to teach people, to win the lost, to, to get out there and bring the sheaves in. For, I mean, because that seems to me like the most important thing ever. Like, get people saved. But there's also this aspect that we get them saved so they will do God's work. So they will help the poor and help. And so sometimes when I push the missionary vision for the lost world and, and, and do all my evangelical teaching and training and all that stuff and have alpha courses, and I wonder, it almost seems like I'm a too busy pastor to give Jesus something to eat, 
to give Jesus something to drink. It's just, I'm a little busy, you know. I don't have time for that. I'm busy preaching the gospel. So, I want to have this little message from Jesus right now. See this well? Next slide. Jesus says thanks. <laughs> he says thanks. I really appreciate it. Jesus was really excited about this well. Uh, next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. This is what it says in there well. All right? And Jesus says thank you. I heard it from Jesus from many mouths. Jesus is really excited. And you know what? You don't have to, I'm, I'm, we're going to keep raising money for more wells, okay? So you can donate to that anytime you want. But maybe you have some different passion on your heart. Maybe you've been to Egypt with Abdel. Maybe you've, you're really excited about giving 10 chickens to some family that doesn't have an income. Maybe you're excited about giving a cow to a family or a tuk-tuk or a sewing machine or, or all those things that we're doing in Project Egypt. Or maybe you have a, 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 a sponsored child that you give money to. I don't know. What, whatever God has put on your heart, where Jesus is for you, you give, you give some money there or go give some time or whatever you need to do. This is how we are Christ's servants in his hands and feet in this world. Amen? That's who we are. That's who Jesus called us to be. So I'm excited that you guys are helping with this. Jesus is excited. Let's keep up these things. Let's not be strictly evangelical. Let's have a little uh, Salvation Army in us, okay? Because <laughs> we, we, yeah. <laughs> right? we need to be that. We, that's who we need to be. It's, it's, that's who we are in Christ, right? Amen. God bless you all.